Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Recap. Uh, this is Nick, hanging out in the basement. I am here, uh, joined by new guest of the podcast, a new friend here, Aaron. Uh, Aaron, you are a lawyer. That is correct. Okay. Um, so we are, uh, we're going to sit down, we're going to talk some, uh, maybe a little bit more information than I'm normally putting out there in the world. Sure. <laughs> um, but the uh, the cool thing is, so Aaron works in the craft beer industry mm-hmm. and works directly with uh, breweries, and I would assume that's mostly your clientele, right? Uh, uh, yeah, so we do a mix. Uh, anyone in the alcohol industry, so breweries, some distilleries, uh, bars and restaurants, which are all under the same R license. Mm-hmm. Really, anyone that involves alcohol, there's a heavy amount of red tape and government regulation, so we help anyone in that category. Okay, well, that that opens it up to a lot more than just beer, right? Um, I particularly do enjoy all alcohols. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, But I know, you know, this podcast, we focus on craft beer, obviously. So we're probably going to talk a lot about that. Um, Don't need to know like specific like clients or anything like that. But I do like to, I want to expand my knowledge on, on what you do. Because this is something that not only I think is a, like just an interesting piece of the industry, Mm -hmm. but it's something that you never hear about. Sure. Right. So I'm I'm very looking forward to like diving into it here. But also, um, you know, we're a craft beer podcast, so we're going to drink some beers. Uh, this one here, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about it since you brought it. Uh, sure. Yeah, that sounds good. So uh, this one is a Helltown Brewing Helping Hops and 412 Food Rescue Brew Collaboration. So uh, through kind of the beer network, Barrel and Flow specifically, I met a guy who uh, founded this 501c3 down in Columbus, Ohio called Helping Hops. And they partnered with Helltown and 412 and did an event here in Millvale uh, over the summer and brewed a New England IPA. So I figured I'd bring along a couple of those that I had left in my basement. Excellent. Um, yeah, I like it. Uh, I, I like Helltown stuff, though. I think that they're, they've been around, they're established. Mm-hmm. Um, they know what they're doing. And I mean, this is, uh, they call it a New England style. I would say, and I've, I've had a lot of people like, had conversations about this recently, where it's kind of almost like a, a blend of like a West Coast and New England. Like, it's obviously hazy. You yeah. can see through that shit. But <laughs> it is... Maybe a little bit more flavor, a little bit more dank, mm-hmm. um, like something like a West Coast would be. So it's got a little bit more hop bite to it, I would say. Yeah. In um, my experience, anyone who makes something that has that haziness just calls it a New England IPA, and that's the big new thing in the industry. So right. everyone jumps on the train. I've been calling it a mid-coast, mm. which is you know kind of like the Midwest version of a New England and West Coast like slammed together. Makes sense. In my to me. opinion. But <laughs> <laughs> if anybody's uh out there, I don't know trademark law, but I'm gonna trademark that too. So <laughs> <laughs> we can help with that if you need. Hey, see this is and we're we're building bridges here, right? Um so I guess uh well let's start off with you because I I mean this is our first time meeting. Sure. Um so <laughs> as is tradition on the podcast, we really went at this uh, very well prepared and, and thought out here. Um I guess, uh, what was your first like foray into craft beer? Like, how did you get into beer in general? Or, I mean, I guess, I don't know if it's. Yeah. So it is kind of an interesting story, just fortuitous timing. Uh, I was in law school, graduated in 2015, and 
during law school, you read books and just study all day. So I needed a hobby to do with my hands. Uh, I always liked some sort of a craft. I'm a terrible drawer, but I'm good with woodwork or I'm good with, you know, doing some sort of like ceramic or whatever. So someone recommended doing brewing beer. And I went with two friends. Uh, they're still kind of involved, but they've dropped off not to the same level of interest as I have. Uh, I picked it up. I really liked it. It was interesting. It was fun, the science behind it. Uh, and it's not necessarily hard to at least brew a drinkable beer. Sure. So I got into it that way and just kind of kept doing it all through law school. So it was a hobby. Then come out of law school and start working for the firm that I'm at now. And as part of it, you know, you're trying to always get different clients in a different industry. And so I started teaching myself about brewery law. And in 2015 in Pennsylvania is when all the laws kind of changed. And so I was getting my foot in the door to an industry that even if it had a history, now everyone had to learn it the same as I did. So it really was just good timing where I was into beer. I liked beer. It was a passion and a hobby of mine. And then I've combined the two interests of beer and law to hopefully provide valuable resources to clients in the area. And I feel like Pennsylvania especially is kind of a pain in the ass when it comes to liquor in general. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, so. This is somewhat on the record no matter what, because it's being recorded, but I want to deny that if PLCB or anyone's listening, but generally speaking, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, Pennsylvania is always one of the more heavily regulated states when it comes to these kind of things. You know, we're a Quaker state. We're old the way that we did things. Yep. Uh, so generally speaking, pre-2015, yeah, having a brewery here was extremely hard. That's why you only saw a handful. And then in 2015, when the laws changed, which when when I reference the laws changing, the real first big change was before if you wanted to have a brewery where if you manufactured a beer to hand you this beer that I have in front of me over the counter as a sale, you had to have a specific brew pub license, which was essentially, you know, a full restaurant that you were operating and then a separate license that you had to get with the government and pay for. Now, as of May of 2015, all you need is that manufacturing G license for a brewery and I can go direct to consumer. All I need is 10 stools and to sell chips and pretzels. Wow. Okay. So that's like very minimal. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, I know that there are different, like obviously the different licenses, right? Mm -hmm. And that. I mean, that makes it so much more approachable, right? Yes. It, like, it's just really, I mean, you're talking about places not needing to be a full bar mm -hmm. in order to sell their own product. Right. That, that's huge. Well, and then one of the biggest advantages, too, is the fact that, so here in Pennsylvania, again, Quaker State, uh, there's only so many licenses for alcohol True. that exist. So uh, most people are familiar with this, so I'll kind of cover it briefly. But restaurants, which are, is any restaurant or bar, they're the same license in the state of Pennsylvania. So there was a set number of them that existed. Mm -hmm. And then you have to buy one off of someone else. So generally speaking, in you know the Pittsburgh area, they go for almost six figures because yeah. there's only one, I believe, way back when for every 3,000 people. And then if you want to buy one, you got to get it off someone else. You got to move locations in municipalities. Sometimes there's a hearing, sometimes there's zoning requirements, whatever it may be. Now, in order to open up a new brewery, I can create a license from scratch. I don't have to buy one off someone. I don't have to, you know, spend a bunch of money purchasing essentially just this amorphous idea of a license. Instead, federal license is free. PA costs about two grand. Then you get legal fees and stuff in there, but it's still way cheaper than yeah. six figures for a restaurant. <laughs> 
That's, uh, yeah, the, uh, you, I guess, uh, like, growing up, you always heard of, like, the, oh, this bar shut down or, you know, somebody's, the, you know, trying to take over this location and stuff like that. And that was always one of the big things was, like, how much is the liquor license yeah. going for? Like, how much is the, you know, and that was always kind of crazy to think about that there was only a limited number in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Like, and I thought it was more, like, I guess in hearing that, that's the first time I've ever heard somebody say it in, like, the state. Because mm-hmm. I always heard it was, like, by county. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I guess assume that's probably how it is, right? Like, Allegheny has more than Westmoreland or, you know, whatever. Like yeah, so what they did is they almost did, like you see now for elections, kind of a map of where people are. And I, I believe, don't quote me on this, but it was, like, one for every 3,000 people. Mm-hmm. And then they put one there. And so now you have to trade them around and you can move them. But you know, you have to then go through that process in order to make that switch. Yeah. Makes sense. That just sounds like a whole hell of a lot of paperwork. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and that's why it's a lot cleaner, smoother, easier to just create one from scratch. You know, your biggest investment is really the equipment to do the brewing. Uh, but again, if you're competent and capable, it's a really sound investment. I'll give you a funny story of I was applying for a brewery license for a client and the person from the TTV, so the federal side of things, was like, you know, they actually have to brew the beer, right? And I was like, yeah, that's that's why they're a brewery. And they were like, okay, I, I just wanted to make sure. Cause we're getting a lot of people who are applying for a brewery license and then saying, well, what do you mean? We sell beer. You have to brew your own, which sounds like common sense, but it isn't, you know, people thought, oh, this is a loophole. I can just call myself a brewery and right. just sell beer, which is not the case. Uh, but that was what some people were trying to do. And yeah, I mean, I guess that's, uh, I, I don't know. I've never heard of that. But at the same time, I mean, you can't really get away with it then, right? right? Like, right. it's just not something that you're just going to go pick up a brewery license and be... Yeah. You haven't cool. heard of it because somewhere down the road, they got caught before the license actually went into effect. But, uh, you know, some people are, are at least <laughs> trying that route. The one restriction that I'll say, or the one notable restriction uh, between a restaurant license and a brewery license, and the reason that some breweries in town actually have both, is the restaurant license will actually allow you to sell out-of-state product. Yeah. So something that's kind of interesting, and I'm sure like anyone, you know, who lives in Pennsylvania has seen, if you go to a brewery, you see other Pennsylvania made beer, other Pennsylvania made wine, other Pennsylvania made spirits. That's a special exception that basically the government has said, hey, you're allowed to sell each other's product. Personally, I think that violates what's called the dormant commerce clause and basically restricts interstate travel. If anyone wants to move into Pennsylvania and pay me to challenge that, I'm happy to do it for them. Uh, But that's, you know, I, I really think that there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to come across state lines and, and do that kind of thing. Uh, but for now, it's a nice perk for a brewery that even if you, you know, to attract a bigger crowd, if you sell a certain kind of beer and, and brew a certain kind of beer, you can also offer, you know, ciders from a local place or wine from a local place and it attracts a bigger, more diverse market. Yeah. And I think you see that a lot more now too, like with the newer places that are opening up. Like trying to get a foothold on the the, the area. Um, Coven, for one, mm-hmm. is good friends of ours. Um, shout out Trevor and the Halloween party the past couple weeks ago. It was awesome. Nice. <laughs> um, but they also have Maggie's Farm. Mm-hmm. They have the personal day seltzers, mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff that you can get alongside their beer, their beer. And we see, like, I mean, you see that in a ton of different places. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, what was it? Couch before Arboretum Trail got in there. Yep. Um, I mean, those guys were good friends of the podcast as well. And mm-hmm. like that place had a full bar of 
Pennsylvania stuff and that right. was it. So mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, and I mean, it gives you that, like, uh, like you said, a little bit more variety, a little bit more, you know, wider mm-hmm. reach. And, and I, you know, the one thing that's nice, at least for now about the fact that it is restricted is it forces the, you know, companies that are here and the breweries that exist and distilleries and what have you, that they have to collaborate and work together. So you have that kind of camaraderie and friendship, whereas you're not seeing, you know, people ship in Jack Daniels from Tennessee or things like that. So that, that's the perk to it. Yeah. But then you get, you know, people on the other side of the, the coin who, you know, I have a, a good friend who's in Ohio that wants to come to Pennsylvania and wants to be able to sell his stuff. And it, it's unfortunate that, you know, he would have to actually create his own license here mm-hmm. in order to sell product here at a brewery. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, the tough part about like the smaller places, right? I mean, even if you have a couple of locations, mm-hmm. you're not if you're not across state lines, then there's no way to like break into the, the Pennsylvania market, right? right? Like that's just how it is. Yeah. Then you got to go through what everyone's heard a million times, the three tier system. So you mm-hmm. got to find a distributor, you got to import through the distributor. You got to ultimately make it into either, you know, a pizza shop with six packs, or you can buy right from, from the wholesaler, uh, what have you, but you have to go through that system. Whereas again, a brewery license or a distillery license or whatever is a short circuit essentially that, that lets you almost circumvent that whole process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess along those same lines with like what's changed in the industry, I mean, obviously the pandemic had quite a impact on laws being maybe loosened or changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess through, through the, the 2020 year, I mean, there were so many different like, Oh, shipping is cool. Now shipping's not cool. Now you can, mm-hmm. you know, pick up a to go cocktail. You can't pick up a good to go cocktail. Like it just mm-hmm. kept, changing so much. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you see coming out of that that's like sticking around that is beneficial or isn't beneficial? I um, mean, yeah. So let's go through the bad first. Uh, you know, obviously during COVID, there were a lot of issues. Some of the things that people remember, they limited capacity. So, you, you know, you were down to 50% at one point or then 75, what have you. You had to put up you know, plastic screens, you had to offer meals, uh, which by the way, that sounds really easy. What is the legal definition of a meal? Right. Uh, you know, so a lot, a lot of breweries, <laughs> yeah. So a lot of breweries, you know, they, all you need, like I said, is chips and pretzels. That's sufficient for your license. Yeah. It's not sufficient for COVID mayhem that happened. Yeah. So, you know, they, then they had a rule. It has to be, I think uncrustables was, was considered okay. And then if, if you have that, you can then buy a cookie and that extends your meal and things like that. A lot of breweries around here use uh, food trucks, which is a great idea. Again, you know, it's a good partnership two businesses support one another. That way the brewery doesn't need its own food. But then under COVID restrictions, the, the receipt that you were paying on had to have the food and the alcohol together, which is like, Great in theory, except now what do you want? So how do you want to combine the food truck with the beer? And I think they used a number system and figured it all out, but it it created a giant cluster uh, as far as, you know, advising clients, what's the best way to go? What do you need to have? What if someone from enforcement comes out? Because if they do, then they're going to shut you down immediately. And, and, you know, there's, it's very hard to say when you're going to get a COVID hearing for when you can reopen or stuff like that. Um, So that was the bad. Let's switch to the good. The biggest benefit um, that we saw, number one, is like you said, a lot of self-distribution and a lot of shipping has changed and opened up. The other big thing, and this is great from the PLCB, uh, through the year 2024, because again, everyone wants to be outdoors and 
Pittsburgh, for the most part, it's actually worked pretty well, even though we have terrible weather at least six months out of the year. uh, (laughs) They are allowing what's called a temporary extension of premises permit. So what that means is, let's say your house, if your house is licensed from wall to wall, no one's allowed to walk outside with a drink and drink it. So now you can apply for a temporary extension that lets you set up tables outside or, you know, have service out there, whatever it may be. Generally speaking, in order to get that, you would have to pay a fee to the PLCB. They'd have to come and look at it. They'd have to pre-approve it. Now, through the year 2024, all you have to do is go online, fill out a form. They waive the fee and it's instant. And so you can get a temporary extension of premises. And then, by the way, when all this is over, you can reapply and actually get the permanent thing. But it's a great fix in the meantime. Uh, I had a new brewery that opened up and wanted, they had a big festival that weekend, and we had the agent out to do the inspection on like a Thursday. And he's like, well, I want my, you know, outdoor section licensed by Friday. And we're like, well, that wasn't part of your plan, you know, six months ago when we talked about it. And so we were like, well, we can apply for a temporary thing and you can get it today. Uh, so that's great. You know, things like that that move the system along. And again, it's in the benefit of public health outside is better, whatever it is. Right. So so yeah. you're seeing really for the first time that I can recall states bend, quote unquote, some rules to, you know, benefit the public good and, and benefit health and safety. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, you saw everybody had to have an outdoor area, mm-hmm. basically. Like, if you wanted to have people at your site, you had to have an outdoor seating, right? Right for for the foreseeable future during COVID, mm-hmm. right? And like, a lot of places did it really well. I thought, yeah. Um, and I mean, just the control factor, the crowds. Like, I mean, taking only a certain amount of guests. Hey, this is you know what it is, and that. I mean, regardless of the health concerns of the actual pandemic and like what was going on with sickness and everything, I thought that it was really cool to see everybody just thinking on their toes. Mm -hmm. Like, how do we get this done? How do we stay in business? How do we stay afloat? Yeah. And I mean, you see people close and Mm -hmm. and, like stuff go away. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I think the people that were really like thinking outside the box and like really stretching their their thoughts about what a brewery can be mm-hmm. were really successful at it. Yeah. You know, breweries that had a canning line did really, really well during the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> especially at the beginning, if you recall, the wine and spirit sh- stores were shut down, which a lot of people think was somewhat strategic to help out local, you know, manufacturers that that way, you know, their product is the only one that's available for sale. So that's something that, you know, w- was a big perk. It, there were, there are certainly breweries in town where they used to do a can release and there would be a line around the block yep. during COVID that all moved virtual. And now you log in at 10 AM, you hit refresh, refresh, refresh. Maybe you get a beer, maybe you don't, you show up, you give your ID and like, that's it. Yep. So things like that, you know, businesses that, that kind of took the initiative and did something different, you saw a, a major success with, uh, you know, and, and it's all about what you do to pivot. And, and see how you can expand the business. A lot of breweries at the beginning, when uh, hand sanitizer was you oh, know, yeah, short yeah. supplied, <laughs> the distilleries were saying like, hey, we'll make hand sanitizer, which is something that under your license, you are not allowed to do as far as the federal government concerned is concerned. Now, all of a sudden, come a global pandemic, it's like, great, we waive everything. Just make it if you want to make it. So I know a lot of breweries were doing that first step of that process and brewing like a generic, you know, mash that just gives you what you need to ultimately make that hand sanitizer. That's crazy. Yeah, that was something that, um, and I mean, everybody did it. Everybody just jumped Mm -hmm. in and was like, hey, we're doing this. Like, Mm -hmm. so... You know, what's crazy from that is, uh, so 
anything that you do and anyone who works in the industry knows that it, it, taxes, that's what the government, especially the federal government, they care the most about their taxes. Yeah. So everyone came in and was like, hey, we'll help, we'll brew this, we'll do hand sanitizer, we'll distill it, whatever it may be. And everyone's like, great, that sounds good. And then I heard that at the end of the year, all these distilleries were getting a letter from the government that said, uh, yeah, you owe us all these taxes because you brewed all this you know, alcohol. And they're like, that was for you guys. So I think in the end, they actually ended up waving it and saying, you don't, you don't know it. But it, everyone got a letter from Uncle Sam, apparently, telling them that they owed taxes on the donation of oh all gosh. the yeah, hand sanitizer that they made. <laughs> I uh, recently, uh, this past week, received a, a letter that was, I guess, intended for me, but it wasn't me, um, about... Uh, uh, having a warrant out for my arrest. Oh, geez. So, <laughs> we no, do the, criminal law too. If you... <laughs> no, I don't need any representation. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it was a stupid parking ticket. Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> and it wasn't even me. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's a totally different story. But yeah, that's uh, getting a letter that you're not expecting like that yeah. can be an absolute like <laughs> shock to the system. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. And then, you know, it's all about the comfort of like knowing who to call or what the process is. You know, one of the things that I find a lot of the time with clients is you can figure out the process for yourself if you really want. Um, You know, you'll just spend hundreds of hours trying to go through and correct things and whatever. But it's really the peace of mind, like the same way I have a good friend of mine who handles all my finances because I wouldn't sleep at night if I picked my own stocks and thought like, you know, I knew what I was doing with my money. (laughs) So better he does it. And then, you know, it's well worth that investment. So it's kind of the same thing. You know, if you have a partner, anytime you're going to open up a business, it's a good idea to have a lawyer because they've been through that process so many times they can walk you through the pitfalls, make sure you avoid them. You know, the number of times that I've had someone come to me after the fact and say, oh, here, I have a dispute between me and the other two owners. I'm like, okay, well, what does the contract say? And they're like, whatever we bought off LegalZoom. Yeah. I'm like, great. <laughs> you you saved Five hundred to a thousand dollars up front by doing your own contract to give yourself ten grand in in litigation costs, yep. you know, on the back end. <laughs> so it, it's worth it to have kind of like that peace of mind and and benefit up front of someone who knows what they're doing, and then you don't run into those problems. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's and I mean, it, like you said, it's all time, mm-hmm. right? Just figuring out what you need to to do mm-hmm. and. If you have somebody that you can pay to do that, I'm the type that will just pay. For right, it. <laughs> peace of mind is great. There, right. there are so many reasons to lose sleep at night, and that's not one of them. Right, I'd rather have the car extended warranty <laughs> than have them calling me incessantly saying, "Hey, we need to talk to you about your car's extended warranty." Right, uh, but <laughs> um, yeah, so that's. I mean, I don't know. Have you had anything like completely just tragic or absolutely like just? off the wall happen in those types of scenarios that you can talk about, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so, and, and I'll, I'll do the same rule that I told you before we went on, you know, I'm happy to give kind of anything that's public out there that people can find. Uh, so any lawsuits are always public. You can, you know, look up dockets and go pull them for yourself. Uh, I just won't name certain instances or, or do anything like that. Uh, but I'll say, you know, a big thing. So there's, so there's two different areas, I would say, of like, you know, what we do as far as representing a brewery. Mm -hmm. So the first half is is kind of 
setup and, and licensing and what we call the transactional side. So that is like you come to me and you say, I brew a great beer. I want to form a business. I want to get my licensing. Uh, you know, I want my employee handbooks in line and everything else. So, you know, we can set up an LLC or whatever kind of business you want. We can walk you through the licensure process, which by the way, you know, there's federal and state requirements for that. So you have to do both the TTB and the PLCB. Uh, you know, everyone thinks that ATF, alcohol, tobacco, fire, Arms is who governs breweries. It's not. It's the TTB. There's a silent A in there. It's like the it's the alcohol, tobacco, something bureau. Um, but anyway, so we do that whole thing. Get you set up as a brewery. Uh, those are pretty straightforward. You know, there's there's twists and turns here and there depending on how many people you have and things like that. The juicier and the more interesting thing is certainly the litigation half, um, and and that's the other half of it, which is once you're established in a business like anyone else, you can get sued. Um, and so that's where we as lawyers often, you know, amongst ourselves, tell what what we call our war stories. So like anything that you've been in court and something crazy happened. Um, so that's where more of it comes from. Uh, I'll say that, you know, luckily for breweries, uh, litigation is few and far between, which is great. Uh, you know, for the most part, they're cordial with one another. Uh, one of the biggest things for restaurants that you see is dram shop litigation, which is over serving someone. Uh, but mm-hmm. you know, when you go, when you go to a brewery, the people that go there tend to not be there to like pound 30 Miller lights and drive home. Right. They tend to have a loyalty to the brand. So they're not going to, you know, sue you unnecessarily, things like that. Um, so those, you know, luckily ha- have been less frequent. One that I've seen a few times in this area and as well as across the state has been nuisance. Um, so nuisance basically is where you are a, a neighboring property and you say that there's a non-trespassory invasion of your land. So like trespass, everyone knows it's like my boundary line is here and you walked across it and now there's a giant divot in my like property. Uh, so nuisance is anything that's non-trespassory. So uh, excessive lighting or noise or volume or whatever it is. So that's something where, especially if you're a brewery nowadays, there's a number of them that are near, uh, you know, residential areas. Sure. sure. So I, I had a brewery that we did represent for nuisance where they wanted an injunction. So a lot of times you're suing for money damages, yeah. but they wanted to shut the brewery down. It was ridiculous. They had, as they put it, tens of thousands of hours of footage of just the obnoxiousness of this brewery and they were doing everything wrong. And, you know, everything that you would think of, like the music was too loud. People, or like, you know, urinating, whatever it was. Um, I didn't want to bill my client tens of thousands of hours to read or watch these videos. So I just kind of skimmed some of it and couldn't just see anything or there was really no issue. Yeah. So my next step was we filed what's called a right to no request with the, uh, the police in the area. And I got all this great information from the police that's like, you know, we got a complaint. It was always from these same people. Everybody else loves them in the neighborhood. Uh, we drove past, I think the quote was like, we drove past without the siren on with the windows down and you could hear a pin drop or, you know, something <laughs> like that. So it was great because, you know, when you get that, it's like, great, this is going to be my number one star witness. Do you guys really want to continue pursuing this case? So we ended up for that one uh, getting out. With, and again, normally settlements are confidential, but I know that this one's publicly filed. Um, we got out for basically we agreed that we would shut down the outside an hour earlier than the inside, which is ironic because they weren't even open the max hours that they could be open. So theoretically, they could be open even later if they wanted. Um, <laughs> we would agree to point the 
uh, food truck generator towards our building as opposed to across the street because, you know, noise only travels in one direction. Right, yeah. And yeah. then the last thing was we would ask, <laughs> but again, it's not required because it's public space, we would ask that patrons not park outside of this person's property. Jeez. So, you know, stuff like that where <laughs> if you have a difficult neighbor and you have these issues, you need to deal with them, uh, but it takes a special touch to figuring out what's the best way to do it that makes everybody happy and everyone can kind of resolve without going through with a full trial that can cost you tens or hundreds of thousands. Uh, so, you know, that, those kind of things. So that that's one of the ones that always sticks out of my head just because of the fact that normally as a defendant, the police are not on your side. Yeah. Uh, but in that one, they, <laughs> they were great. <laughs> well, that's, uh, I, I feel like I have a guess as to who that might have been, but I'm not going to say anything mm-hmm. because I'm sure you can look it up later. That's fine. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that's, that's that reminds me of like the news story the past couple of weeks that was like uh, there was a wedding at Hartwood Acres mm-hmm. that like got shut down at 9 p.m. I heard about the music that. It was too loud. Right. It's this one neighbor that's just like crotchety. Yep. Like, that, that sounds exactly like that situation. Yeah. You know, and that's why I always tell my clients, I'm like, one of the best things that you can do, especially if you're going to move into an area like that, is just go knock on every neighbor's door and just be like, hey, I'm the head brewer slash owner. I'm moving in. Do you want to tour the place? Here's my cell phone. If you have a problem, call me. Like, the same yeah. rules as applied to you in college when you had an adult living next to you. It's like, hey, instead of calling the cops, just call my cell and right. we'll figure it out. Yeah. You know, a lot of this is common sense, but it sometimes takes a unemotional person who's a step back from it to kind of give that reason to everybody else. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's one of those things that you don't necessarily talk about it, but everybody should be thinking that way. Mm -hmm. And if you're not thinking that way, then you're not approaching it the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, But that, yeah, that, that sounds to me like, Hey, I'm just being a good neighbor. Like, you know, that that, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. Like we had a few people over, you know, I let my neighbors know, Hey, we're going to have people parking on the street. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. Nobody's going to call the cops about cars on the road. But most people don't think that way. Right. Or at least like the, the common sense says, okay, yeah, we're going to file a, a case against this because mm-hmm. we're annoyed. Right. <laughs> you know, like, right. You know, your neighbors can like make or break your life. Like overall, you know, brewery and alcohol is honestly the fav- my favorite thing that I do because of my personal hobby level in it. But it only makes up maybe, you know, 25 to 30% of my overall practice. Sure. And, you know, we do a bunch of other stuff too, auto accidents or neighbor disputes or whatever it is. And man, some of those neighbor disputes between just individuals, it's like, um, what's that? The Hatfields and the McCoys, like they will just never get along. And it's, I always think, you know, what a wasted opportunity. Cause like my neighbor has a key to my house. He lets yeah. my packages in. There's times where I'll call and be like, we got tickets to the pens. Can you let my dog out? Like, I can't imagine going home and feeling like the pressure of like, Oh, this guy's going to call the cops on me. At any right. Minute. So, you know, that's, that's it, just a different world to live in. But yeah, if you can, you know, at a certain point it's going to break down no matter what, if they're like that, but if you can do something proactive to set yourself up, it, it really benefits you in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you deal with, uh, like cease and desist and stuff like that too? Yeah. So honestly, most of the time I'm the one sending the cease and desist, which is a much more fun position oh, to I be in. It, yeah. Um, <laughs> this is not a brewery one at all. Ah, that's not public knowledge. I shouldn't do that actually. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, cease and desist are usually, you know, something that it, it's fun to write, but you never know. It, it can go either way. Um, so, you know, on one hand you can send a cease and desist and the person's like, Whoa, letter from a lawyer on letterhead. Like, I don't want to touch that. Sometimes <laughs> they just get, more mad. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I always kind of tell my client, I'm like, all right, I can write it if you want, but like, you know, you know, the person better than I do. What do you think they're going to do? And then if you do have to,
have to enforce it? Do you really think that it'll work or, or things like that? Um, another one that we've done a lot and, and I'm shocked that this one actually works is for, uh, copyright and trademark. So we have a client who has like patent rights or trademark rights. And I remember I wrote a letter to a company in India in the middle of COVID and like you couldn't even find, there was no working phone number for this entity or like whatever it was. And, um, I, I sent him a letter and I was like, you're infringing our client's rights and, you know, immediately stop or we're going to sue you, which like, you know, good luck with that. They don't exist here. Um, and sure enough, middle of COVID, like 30 days later, I get a letter in the mail that's like, yep, sorry about that. We'll stop immediately. So <laughs> that was pretty cool. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to flex on them. And then right. Right. Like- it, it, they, they never know where the line is for the bluff, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And especially I'm sure like international and all yeah. that, like it, it just has to be so much more complicated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, anytime you're dealing with an international company, it, depending on where they are and what they're doing here in the United States. Because if you're actually doing business, then then the United States government can sometimes pull you in. But for the most part, it's like, great, get a judgment against us. Good luck collecting. All of our banks are in, you know, Denmark. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> so that's, uh, yeah, that's crazy. Um, and that was a brewery outfit that you'd... No, no, no oh, that was okay, a totally just, different okay, entity. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, luckily, you know, for the most part, the breweries are, are pretty good with that. Um, you know, everyone's pretty cordial. I'll say for, you know a lot of industries have non-competes. Sure. Which is funny because we as lawyers are actually not allowed to have non-competes. So it's funny that, you know, the people writing them aren't allowed to have them themselves. But, uh, you know, for the most part, a lot of businesses have them. You know, I always say if your Lowe's and Home Depot moves in across the street, that just ruined your day because, you know, it took half your business away. But for breweries, it's a little bit different because, you know, they're all friendly with one another, but they also help one another. So for the most part, if if you're in an area of town where there's only one brewery and another one moves in across the street, great. Maybe more people are going to come now because they can go brewery hopping and, you know, check out both of them. So it's weird and it's unique to the brewing industry. And I always liked that about it, that, you know, for the most part, I don't put in anything in an agreement that's like, if you work for me, you can't go work for another brewery for like three years or, you know, whatever it is. But something that we do usually recommend for clients and we put in is what's called a restrictive covenant and, and, um, you know, confidentiality where it's like anything that you, if you're the brewer, if you come up with a recipe for us on our dime, you know, that's our recipe. And if you leave, you're welcome to leave, but it's our recipe and we get to keep it and you're not going to brew it in a a competing brewery or anything like that. And then of course, you know, it's something where if it's something that means a lot to the employee, you can always waive it and give it to them if you want, but at least you have the upper hand and you know that if someone leaves, you know, that you're not like out of luck for the line of beer that you had for the yeah, next couple yeah. months. So, and that's, you see that a lot too, mm-hmm. because a lot of these places do like a, a theme or, mm-hmm. you know, a, a quarterly release of like something, you know, like that kind of thing. And it's, like you said, it, it, it seems like the industry is very collaborative, mm-hmm. right? There is not really this like tension right. between, like competing breweries, mm-hmm. but I can see where you're coming from with that. Like that makes a lot of sense is that, Hey, you know what? You're protecting your product, your brand mm-hmm. by saying, Hey, this one beer is our Tuesday night. Like just for an example, a lot of places do like the Kolsch night, right? right? If you're the person that brewed that Kolsch and you leave and you take your Kolsch with you, then they don't have a whole Tuesday. Like right. that's it, you know? <laughs> so that's, uh, I mean, obviously, I'm probably, you know, driving towards at least a couple of breweries with that particular example. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> but, 
but I mean, it's it, it makes sense that you know you're you're protecting your investment number one, but number two, it's also still part of the brand. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, that's the thing, there's a way to do it respectfully and, and, you know, in a way that works for everyone and isn't offensive because again, you know, I always tell people you, you want an agreement to give you, put you in the best position possible for whatever happens down the line. It's really hard. And a lot of times, especially when you have, you know, most breweries open up with multiple people and, everyone's all happy, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed on day one and sunshine and rainbows, but they never want to put in the agreement like, well, what happens if we can't agree on things? And it's like, you know, well, that'll never happen. It's like, well, it it actually can and does quite frequently, (laughs) and you need to be in a position that you're, you know, okay if that happens. Like, easy example. If you have two people, you cannot have a 50-50 split. No, because yeah. then the first time you have a disagreement, you are ha- at a stalemate and you have a lockout and you're going to have to shut down the business and reopen it. So we always tell people like you can have 51, you can have 49. If you want, you can have 50.0001. It doesn't matter. You just have to be different and there has to be a tiebreaker. Uh, but you know, that's something where we get a lot of the time people say, Oh, well, I bought this agreement on legal zoom and it didn't ever talk about that. It's like, right. That's why you need someone to say, Hey, when this all, if this all, you know, goes bad, you need to at least have it in writing as to how it's going to go. These are the pitfalls that we've seen before and, and those kind of things. So it always helps to have it. And then hopefully you never need it, but if you do, it saves you a lot of time and hassle on the back end. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, like you said, you never want to like, I mean, working with friends, working with family, that's all, you know, side completely separate from like what you're talking about there mm-hmm. is this, this is business. This right. is at the end of the day, it's money. It's, it's people, you know, livelihoods at stake, mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. And I mean, a lot of these places are putting in a shit ton of overhead mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, just initial investment to get right. off the ground. And you need to make that money back right? or it's going to be a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> like, at the end of the day, it's a business, you know, you're there to make money. I mean, as much as like giving out free beer to the world is, is great, yeah. you know, you got to be earning money in order to pay your employees and, you know, can the, I mean, canning lines are expensive yeah. and, you know, then yeah. you got to pay insurance for all this stuff. That's a whole nother, you know, world that we deal with is there's all these different kinds of insurance, you know, like we <laughs> talked about dram shop for over serving people. That's a different kind of insurance than if someone trips and falls on your sidewalk. So yep. you got to have them both if you want to be protected and those cost money. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. I always tell people, you know, I understand and appreciate how many beers you have to sell to be able to, you know, afford attorneys and hourly rates, but it's still worth it in the end as a business when, you know, you can head off a lot of these issues on the front end as opposed to, oh, everything already hit the fan. Now that it's too late, can you do your best to help me? Right. Yeah. Cause you're like, uh, reactive is not the way to go about legal problems. Right. (laughs) Just in general. Um, <laughs> it happens quite often, but yeah, it, it's always better if I get a phone call before everything hits the fan. Yeah, and that unfortunately <laughs> happens less often than not. I believe that. Yeah, so you can you can play damage control quite a bit. I'm sure, right? <laughs> Which is fun for me, but not fun for the client. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's. I mean, especially, and I don't know if this is something that that you can even really talk about mm-hmm. specifically, but like the culture of social media. Yeah. In any business at this mm-hmm. point, but in, in craft beer, especially over the past couple of years, mm-hmm. there have been some serious things that have gone on. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to know specific examples, but I'm sure that you've been brought in on stuff that has gone along with the, you know, like the rat magnet, um, like all that kind of stuff. I don't mm-hmm. know if you're familiar with her specifically, but no. the um, 
male dominated, you know, mm. like, like, uh, dis, like just completely disgraceful, like, tr- like treatment of employees and all that gotcha. kind of stuff. Like DEI is huge. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, right. And seeing like this stuff come to light and local places, not necessarily being on the list, mm-hmm. but that's uh, I mean, again, damage control. This right. is something that's very serious and you yeah. should be talking about. And there's, there needs to be like your, like you're saying your, your mission statements, mm-hmm. your, code of conduct and yeah. stuff like that. Is what yeah. I mean. yeah. No, definitely. I mean, so much, you know, and it's great that we're going in that direction in general as a society, you know, like 2021, 2022, uh, that it, it now is all about inclusivity and, and you know, uh, doing as much as you can to make everybody feel empowered. I've, I've heard, I didn't hear of your specific instance, but I've heard of a number of times where, you know, I know like a, a wife or, or a woman who owns a brewery and if they show up with like their husband somewhere, like the person who manufactures any of the equipment or the person person who sells whatever it is just goes right up to the you know the mail and is like hey so your brewery and they're like actually it, it, it's mine you know mm-hmm. those kind of things that are just like you know ingrained in in society so yeah. it's nice to see that you know people it, 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 we're certainly not there but at least we're taking more efforts yeah. you know to yeah, get and there. i think holding people accountable talking mm-hmm. about it really you know having an open line of communication mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff yeah and, and the nice thing too you know again especially compared to just a generic bar is, is breweries tend to be a very inclusive and opening space and, and so it's kind of nice for that but yeah social media is something that's always tough because it, on one hand it's great for business, you know, it, it tracks numbers and it gets people involved and you can reach out and, you know, get a, get a lot of support. But on the other hand, if you say one wrong thing, uh, you know, everything could go terribly. My yep. brother actually uh, now works for an NHL team where he's like in charge of media. And so he'll always send me some things like, hey, we just put this out and you won't believe the comments that like, you know, it's spawn <laughs> off of that. So it, it's true and it's hard because it's a necessary evil, but it, it, you always really want to be careful um, with what you put. And then, you know, if you put something up, can that be used against you? Uh, a really easy example, you know, a lot of what I do on a daily basis is just personal injury defense. Mm. And uh, man, the things that people put on social media are just unreal and, and out there for the world to see. Yep. Uh, so, you know, I have a case where there's a woman who claims that she's severely injured and then you go on her Facebook page and she's like cliff diving in Jamaica or like, <laughs> you know, she's a self-employed break dancer and she's doing a break dancing choreography routine the same day that she says that she like can't go to work you know, all this stuff. So it's a, it's a great source of information, you yeah. know, to log in and, and, and sneak in on people and, you know, figure out, but yeah, it's hard to, as a business, you know, what do you do and, and do you make sure it's compliant? Another crazy area, and this is huge in, uh, this area, the Western side of Pennsylvania is, is your website compliant with blind screen reader technology? Uh, oh, and I've had, okay. I've had breweries that have been sued for that, um, among a, a plethora of other businesses. And, and when I say plethora, I mean like there are tens to hundreds of these being filed like every couple days. And it's basically, if, if you go onto a website, you know, is it accessible to people who are vision impaired? And there are certain screen reader technologies and they have to make sure that, or any business for that matter, according to the federal government that, you know, is giving a commodity to the public arguably has to then, you know, meet certain standards. And that's really hard right now because depending on the jurisdiction that you're in, some people don't think those are valid suits. Uh, There really isn't a formal set of guidelines from the federal government. But again, as a business, you know, that's something that you're like, hey, I'm going to build a website. My friend can do a website. And then next thing you know, you're involved in a lawsuit. So it, it, it is. Social media is great for certain things and it's terrible for others. (laughs) that i I would have never thought of i mean it it makes sense right Mm -hmm. like a lot of these i mean your phone can do most of that right just 
on its own, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you don't need a special software. You don't need anything. But I mean, at the same time, if there's some sort of compliance, mm-hmm. you have to be compliant, right? right? That's that's really what it comes down yeah. to. So, um, very interesting. That's that's crazy. Have like uh, I guess are you? Does it? I don't know what all would it, would be entailed in that. Like, is it like if you create your own font, right, for your brand, and it can't be read? For the most part, and again, you know, I would certainly have to get an expert to testify accurately to how it all works. But, but from a layman's terms, more or less, what happens is if you're vision impaired, there's like this thing that you move over the the wording or the language, and it'll read it out loud to you, so yeah. that if you otherwise can't see it, and then usually the allegation is that there's some gap in it. Like for example, um, I scroll over this image, and instead of describing the image to me, it says link, 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 unfound, or you know something sure, like that. Sure. So less like an a less a font issue or like size, you know, like everyone when you're older, I always see, you know, sorry, old people, but I always see old people at restaurants who like can't read the menu. So they, you know, use a flashlight and things like that. Um, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about more, you know, someone who like genuinely can't see it all. And then they have special software that's supposed to read it to them. And is the website compliant or not? Things makes sense. Yeah. That's that. And I mean that I know a pretty decent amount about like accessibility technology Mm -hmm. and, that's something that I would have never even thought of yeah. like because I've never used it mm-hmm. personally. But. And, you know, it's new and that's something, you know, going back to what I said at the beginning, like the, the law is ever changing. You yeah. know, there, there's things where five years ago you would have never even thought about uh, an issue such as this and now it's popping up everywhere. So, you know, you kind of have to have um, an eye towards what's moving forward and that's why it, it benefits you as a business. Like, you don't want to deal with that as a business. Like, what do I have to pay attention to and who's getting sued for what versus, you know, if I'm talking to a client, I'm like, hey, by the way, this popped up for someone else, just checking in on you. Like, do you have what you need for this or or that kind of thing? And so I think that's a big benefit is just, again, not losing sleep at night thinking, what am, what don't I know that I don't know? Right. Yeah. And that's the, that's the other core of it is that like, these guys are beer nerds. Mm -hmm. They're, they're brewing beer daily. They're, they're, trying to create a product or, or an atmosphere that brings people in. Mm-hmm. The last thing you want to have to think about is programming your damn website. Right, <laughs> you right. Know? I mean, those just, guys work harder than I do. You know, you mash <laughs> in, mash out, your days are longer than mine. And then you hear the horror stories like, ah, someone knocked this thing off and then beer spilled everywhere. <laughs> like, honestly, I think they probably spend more hours, you know, perfecting their craft than I do. But yeah, you know, you th- there's a benefit to you know, farming out and, and sort of getting the help where you need it as yeah. opposed to trying to navigate that realm in, in, on your own. Yeah. It's better to have a team than, than your own. Like you're sometimes you're just too close to the picture to see For sure. to too close to the puzzle to see the whole picture. Mm-hmm. Right. Like there's something to be said about having that, like, you know, support group type mm-hmm. feel to it. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if that's a, appropriate way to say that yeah, but yeah, that, makes, that makes sense to me <laughs> um so we are both out of beer yeah um i don't know if you have yeah so i also brought else. the other one i brought was uh i'm sure you've had it full squish from cinderlands oh uh, one of my favorite ipas of the city honestly <clears throat> there you go um, 
that uh, both the same here? Yep, oh, same cool, thing. Cool. I, so I, I did the courteous thing, and I uh, made sure to brought bring... the whole beer. <laughs> yeah, well, I brought this so that we could each have our own, uh, as opposed to like, well, I kind of want to try that one, too. Yeah. That kind of thing. I'm all, You know, I actually have in my house, like, an entire uh, closet just stocked with beer. And it's hard, because, like, for my wife and I, you know, we don't really just drink beer on our own. It's mostly, you know, when we have people over or whatever. But then it's hard, because it's like, oh, I have, like, one of these beers that I bought from somewhere that I really wanted to try. So I don't know that I, how much do I like you that I really want to give you that one? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's something that, uh, so I am, uh, a chaser of like untapped badges mm-hmm. personally. Like I just, I like checking stuff in for my own personal benefit. Not that I'm sitting out there like bashing breweries. Everything that I've ever rated on untapped is like higher than a four, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't really do it to like bash anybody. I mean, I've obviously checked in enough, like Iron Cities at like 0.25 or whatever. But sure. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the uh, being able to try these different brands and like what I like and mm-hmm. you know, knowing like stuff from certain breweries and stuff yeah. from out of town. Um, a couple of my buddies and I will will trade back and forth. So we'll get a four pack and we'll split it four ways. Mm-hmm. You know. So I'm very much in the same boat. I'm sitting there going, "There's." three cases of beer in the beer fridge, mm-hmm. but they're all individual beers. Right. And uh, yeah. Okay. We'll split some. That's cool. I'm fine yeah. with that. But like, I also um, generally will like stock up on the brands that I like a lot too. Mm-hmm. So like I have right now, just as, just cause we were talking about dancing gnome earlier, I have a couple of four packs of spy dolphin mm-hmm. just ready to go because nice. it's one of my favorite beers in the city. So that, um, I don't shy away from drinking the same beer over and over again, but I also do like to expand mm-hmm. and try like different things. And like, if it's, you know, a one-off release or versus like a, a core beer, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So yeah. it's definitely worth uh, having. I think it's good to have both sides, right? I, I know that no one can see it, but you are a walking billboard right now for Dancing Gnome, <laughs> Dancing Gnome shirt, Dancing Gnome hat. Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was absolutely just like, not intentional. It was just the <laughs> hat that was sitting on the back of the couch. So I was like, I got to throw this on. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have a lot of dancing gnome merch and it tends to rotate through. So yeah, that's just what happens. Uh, they're my favorite brewery in the city. You guys mm-hmm. know this about us. Um, and you know, that's one of the nice things uh, and something that I always recommend to clients is like, you know, if you have a space that would allow you to offer tours or, or do, you know, some kind of at least like customer outreach, it, it's totally worth it because, it, you know, when you go to Giant Eagle or, or the local beer distributor or whatever, there are now a million breweries to pick from. Oh, yeah. And there's so much to be said about someone who goes somewhere and is like, hey, I've been there and I've seen what they do. And like, then there's that like brand loyalty that people just come back to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely um, one thing that I've seen like recently is a lot of the out of state stuff coming into mm-hmm. like the generic Giant Eagles of the world and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I'm like walking through and I'm going, okay, I know where all, you know, the stuff that I normally drink is. Let me just take a look at like the the craft out of town craft, you know, shelf or whatever. Yeah. If I see like a Jackie O's mm-hmm. or, you know, somebody that's like like brand heavy um, that pops out, like, you know, oh, okay, I've seen that brand before. I know who mm-hmm. that is. Um, I'm going to be, tr- I, I'm one of those people that's just open to trying a bunch of different stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to reach for it. Even if I know that my fit, like, you know, Lustra is sitting right next to mm-hmm. it, I'm going to drink Lustra all the time. Like, sure. that's, you know, like you're saying, establishing that brand, that, recogn- that recognition is mm-hmm. huge. 
So, and it's kind of funny too, cause you know, different breweries do it different ways. Like you said, Lustra, you know, is like the staple that everyone knows and can go back to like a flagship beer. But then there's a lot of breweries who are like, I don't want to brew the same thing twice. I just want to do a million different things. And then every time I do a new release, everyone's going to come try it. Yep. And you know, it, to each their own, there's a million different ways to do it. You know, I've seen breweries that open up and look like a hole in the wall. I've seen breweries that open up and look like, you know, a million bucks was behind it and like everything's top notch. And that's kind of one of the things that I also really like about is breweries are all the same in the sense that they're brewing alcohol between, you know, three to 9% generally. And yet they're all completely different at the same time. And so you're never going to go to one and have the same experience. Exactly. Yeah. And that's something that, I mean, even like uh, aesthetic aside or like, Oh, post-industrial, Oh, there's Mm -hmm. woodwork everywhere. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's, you know, steel on all the walls. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, yeah, it can get old, but at the same time, like you're not there specifically for the building. You're not there specifically for one beer. Mm -hmm. You're there for the overall experience. Yeah. Right. And that's something that I, I try to, you know, anytime I'm going somewhere new that I haven't been, I always at least try to like take in what's around me or Mm -hmm. what's going on around me, you know? And then how much of it do you not even realize? Like, this is probably the most, I think specific I've gotten so far, even though I'm not going to name it, but it'll be extremely obvious. Um, (laughs) So I have a new brewery where he designed a lot of it himself, like, you know, which I originally did not recommend doing, but you know, he's like, no, I can do it drywall and whatever. Um, But it was really cool when we showed up at the, you know, day that it was ready to open and everything in there is like so, specific and cool and unique to him where you know the wall has a mural of like everything that's important and matters to him in his like part of town and then I was like oh I really like what you did with the ceiling where you know it's painted gold and like the old antique roof and he's like yeah my friends from Notre Dame so we did it like the gold helmets or you know so it's really <laughs> cool because like every little thing in the entire brewery like has a purpose and a meaning behind like what matters to him very cool yeah and that's I mean you got to put your own spin on it mm-hmm. right and it, it's probably something that's going to be memorable the next time you walk in you're going to say oh yeah those, those hideous Notre Dame helmets. <laughs> <laughs> My dad's a pit guy. Yeah. So I got to. You know. There you go. I won't ask you about what you think of Kenny Pickett doing so far. Uh, you know, okay. That's, yeah, I don't really talk sports on here. I, I, I am a big sports fan. If mm-hmm. you want to talk sports, we can talk sports. But um, I just, I don't know about the Steelers anymore. Yeah. I, I just don't. Like, I, I, they'll bounce back. You know what? I, I heard that they started out like two and six one time before and brought it all the way back. So we'll see. It, it's, I, I, I read that quote earlier. Uh, I think it was Jerry Dulac that, that posted it. And he was like, yeah, the year that uh, Mike Tomlin took over, I think it was. Yeah, that could be. I think it was like his first year or whatever. Uh, oh, no. Maybe it was. I don't remember. Anyway, point being, yeah, we started two and six and then they ended up eight and eight. Or yeah. Whatever. I think it was I the only care. reason I know is like someone asked Tom and they're like, do you, are you, do you feel like you're in uncharted territory? And he's like, I think I've been here before. <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, whatever, you know, I, I like Kenny. Um, mm-hmm. I always liked Kenny though, as, as a you mm-hmm. know, pit fan. Um, so hopefully he turns it around and, yeah. I, and I hope they win 10 more games, but at the same time, I know if they're, you know, if they don't, so be it. <laughs> there you go. Two minutes of sports talk. Right. Uh, but you know, that's and, and I mean, the Pens are winning right now. And they're beating the best team in the league in the Boston Bruins. Can I um, Can I ask for the score? Yeah, I'll give you a... Actually, you know what? Shit, they just tied it up. Uh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, Pens are up 5-3. Oh, perfect. So, yeah. I put money on it. So oh, okay. <laughs> legally, legally on, on Fandle. <laughs> um, I don't think you need to be that serious about the... <laughs> No, I'm going to stop at my bookie on the way home. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, that's, that's so funny to hear you talk about like legal stuff and mm-hmm. just how it all blends like 
You know, one of the things, because there are, one of the partners that I work with, um, like told me early on, lawyers are a dime a dozen. There's like a million of us, you know, and we can sure. all, generally speaking, do the same thing. I mean, I like to think that I do a better job than someone else, you know, if I win something or do something well. But at the end of the day, there there are a lot of options for where people can go and, and what they can do. But really, you know, the the thing that you want to do is be able to have a personable connection to the client and make them feel like, oh, God, I just got a lawsuit in the mail that's about this crazy thing that I know this is going to go on for three years. Who do I want to have to pick up the phone and actually call for the next, like, three years straight? Yeah. And, you know, that's where you can make a mark and, and have, you know, that distinction is if they want to talk to you. And, and want to have that personal connection. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's the thing. You want somebody in your corner that you can trust, mm-hmm. that, that you know has been there or at least knows enough about the like the scenario mm-hmm. and and can present either a better option on how to handle it sure. or the only option on how to handle it, <laughs> sure. <I'm sure. laughs> there are uh, times, yeah. So, but I mean, at the same time, that's the type of stuff that you don't really see mm-hmm. in the industry. It's like, I mean, I'm sitting at the bar. I'm having a good time with my buddies. I'm not thinking about driving home mm-hmm. after a couple of beers and like getting in a car accident mm-hmm. or, you know, something like that. Like, it, it's just, it, it's not how, I mean, obviously drink responsibly, arrive alive, all that good stuff. Sure. But Uber and Lyft in the year right. 2022. Exactly. Like you, there should not be any DUIs. Like right. It just shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, like the fact that there's so much that goes into it and, mm-hmm. and just the hour conversation that we've had, mm-hmm. I've learned quite a bit more than I ever thought was possible. And free. <laughs> I didn't even charge right? you yet. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here like, man, what kind of other legal advice can I pull out? Of-? No, I'm, ki- I'm kidding. <laughs> um, actually, it was funny. Uh, one of my coworkers had a conversation with a lawyer um, about some personal stuff uh, that was like separate from work, but he was like, this guy's a client mm-hmm. and like he's like, are you, are you asking me for you? Or are you asking me for the person that's involved in this? Sure. Like, like how am I billing you for this? Is basically right. Like kind of right. how it came out. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, no, I'm just asking what, like, you know, give me some, some pointers. And, mm-hmm. and like, I don't want to like, you know, your services are there for a reason. And yes, they'll pay you if that, if it yeah. needs to go to that. But I've had uh, clients do that. They're like, all right, this is off the clock. Now we'll go <laughs> on the clock. That, that kind of a thing. Yeah. That's uh that's a whole other conversation I'm sure. But like, I I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of money that goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. Right. I would say that, uh, I guess uh, what you see is probably a lot more settling outside mm-hmm. of litigation. Yeah. I would assume. So 98% of lawsuits settle somewhere before a trial. Okay. Trials are crazy expensive, they're hard, and then they are truly a roll of the dice at the end of the day, because you don't know what a jury's going to do. Um, you know, a, a jury could hate the plaintiff, a jury could hate your client. Um, you know, I, one of the hardest things, and it's top of mind because I just did it last week, uh, but I had a federal jury trial where we had a case where I was representing an insurance company. And, you know, you always have to be cognizant of those of like, you know, you have to toe a fine line because you're trying to say that a person, you know, didn't have certain injuries and, and everything else. But at the end of the day, you know, there's a connotation to an insurance company. And so walking that fine line and, and doing it in a way that presents well to a random group of uh, normally 12, in this case, it was only eight. Um, but, you know, a, a random group of jurors is, yeah. is something that you always have to be cognizant of. That's yeah. That, and I mean, like you said, they they may not like 
you mm-hmm. as a person yeah. or just your tone or mm-hmm. whatever comes up yeah. is, I mean, maybe it, it hits something personal for somebody mm-hmm. and it throws the whole thing off. And that's like, yeah. So, I, I mean, it makes sense that a lot of it is settled. Hey, you know what? We're going to throw money at this until it goes away. Or, mm-hmm. hey, you know what? We're going to give you, you know, this, this, and that. Mm-hmm. But Well, and the other thing, and, and more so, you know, in this context of alcohol and breweries, is a lot of what we do that goes to trial or a lot of ultimately cases are, are really insurance money at the end of the day. You know, yeah. the insurance is paying for the defense or the insurance has certain coverage. The easiest example is if you're in a car accident. You know, you're entitled to X dollars uh, towards any ultimate verdict that, that's rendered to the other party. So an insurance company knows what they're doing. They have a certain amount of money. Uh, you know, they know how much it's going to cost to try, things like that. It's a very different conversation when I talk to a brewery that's getting sued and they're getting sued for something like, let's use breach of contract as an example, that's not covered under insurance. Yeah. So then it's brewery money and brewery dollars that are paying me to defend the case. So it, right off the bat, I'll tell them like, look, you might win this at the end of the day, but you're going to pay me X to get there, or you can just offer, you know, them something to go away and we'll see how it works. But so, you know, that's a big factor for a brewery client to consider is, you know, how much is it worth spending X dollars on me versus spending X dollars on making the case go away, which, you know, on a personal level, sure, I like to make money, but I, I'd rather tell them, you know, it's not in your best interest necessarily. Right. And it's all about return on investment mm-hmm. at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because, I mean, you can invest thousands of dollars into legal fees mm-hmm. and never win the case, and right. then you're still out the money. Right. Or yeah. vice versa, you know, okay, maybe you're going up against somebody who does have money and mm-hmm. you're yeah, winning it back or whatever. But and then it comes down to trust too. You know, like you, you, I try to be honest and upfront with people and tell them like, "Hey, look, you can do it either way. Here's the pros and cons." Um, I try to not tell people. You know, there. I, I guess I take this as a compliment that they're like, well, what would you do if you were me? And I always try to not answer that yeah. question because I'm like, well, I don't know. Cause I'm not you and I'm not in the situation. I can just tell you, here's if you choose a, what'll happen. And here's if you choose B, what'll happen. And ultimately the decision is up to you. Yeah. Um, but yeah. you know, that, that's the way that I try to approach it to just come from a neutral, you know, one step back force through the trees kind of perspective. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, that's actually like really refreshing to hear too, is because like the, the people that you see as like the face of these breweries, right? Mm-hmm. You want them to be a certain, you know, um, have a certain attitude, have mm-hmm. a certain like, and this is stuff that gets, you get bogged down with, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, obviously like this is something that you're passionate about and you sure. enjoy doing. I guarantee you that the owner of said brewery doesn't feel like dealing with legal shit. Right. <laughs> like, just in general. <laughs> right. Uh, so that's... Uh, that's where it comes down to like, you're excited about this stuff. Mm-hmm. I can tell that you're excited and you're passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And like, just the, like I said, the brief conversation that we're having here, mm-hmm. you can tell that you're making everything about the client mm-hmm. or at least as much about the client as it can be. Right. Uh, and, and really what you're presenting is the best option mm-hmm. that's available regardless of what you think of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, I don't, I don't know. I feel like we're just sitting here not talking specifics on purpose, <laughs> which is, I'm sure the legalese of it. But, right. Um, I mean, going back to, well, uh, you know what, now what I was thinking was like, you, you brought up legal zoom a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've, in my experience, I've had 
uh, some dealings with like just setting up LLCs and stuff sure. like that, like just generic like business type stuff that wasn't that didn't really go anywhere. I've mm-hmm. opened and closed more businesses than I care to admit. Sure, uh, but as long as they haven't been sued, you're doing all no, right. No, yeah, we haven't been sued, <laughs> so there's uh, there really hasn't been any sort of tangible product along with it though. That's the only downside. Mm-hmm. Is most of it was uh, you know um, ideological. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was more dreaming big and, and missing yeah. than anything else, but, uh, good but yeah, experience as as to like, go through though. Oh yeah, yeah, it really is. And I mean, it, and that's the thing is like you, you print off these like legal documents mm-hmm. off of a website and you're like, okay, yeah, I can do this. This you know, makes sense to me reading it. Right. And you're like, oh, we're on page 38 of mm-hmm. a 55 page contract. I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, that's fair. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think that anybody reads the terms and conditions when they mm-hmm. sign stuff at the, you know, Apple store or whatever. Yeah. And there's a lot that goes into, I mean, it's mostly just so the lawyers have stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that's basically yeah. like what, what it is. Do you see a lot of that in the, the alcohol industry? A lot of like contracts and stuff that you're basically writing or reading, yeah. you know, just constantly. Yeah. So I write and read a lot of contracts. Um, and, and let me give you like some concrete ones, uh, just as an example, you know, if we, if I get a new client from day one, one of the first things I tell them is, you know, when you find your space, send me the lease because the lease is something that you don't think about and you're like, yeah, great. It's X dollars and you just sign it. Right. Terrible idea. So <laughs> and let me give you like three concrete examples of what I look at in every single lease among a million other things. But like, these are just things that everyone can relate to. Sure. So number one, what is the name of, of who's on the lease. Is it John Doe doing business as brewing company? Because that's bad. If, if your name is on that lease, I can promise you that the first time someone slips and falls outside your property, you're personally being sued. Yeah. And you know, again, <laughs> if you send it to me in advance, I can talk you away from doing that kind of a thing and say, no, it has to be in the business's name. And this is why among a million other reasons, like, by the way, if you want to apply for a brewery license, the PLCB is going to require that the name on the lease matches the name on your app application. Uh, But, you know, from a liability perspective, that's important. Number two is I always make sure to try to put, if if the landlord will agree, a footnote that says, you know, I agree to start my lease on September 1st, 2022. Condition upon approval of the PLCB and the TTB. Because again, you know, what if it takes them longer to go through that application process with you? What if there are holdups that you didn't anticipate? Now you're paying rent before you even can open the doors to the brewery. So again, you know, those kind of terms are things that you're never going to find on LegalZoom, but that we do and recommend all the time. Yeah. Number three is, you know, what are the extra terms and conditions that are in there? Like, for example, in the United States of America, well, specifically Pennsylvania, but I think most states, if you put in a contract, you have to specifically say that you're entitled to attorney fees if you win your case. Uh, and that has to be in there or it's waived. So every defendant that I ever talk to is like, well, I want to sue the plaintiff back and I want them to pay for your fees. And I say, that's great. I would love that too for you. <laughs> but it's just not how the system works unless you have a document in writing that says that. So again, if you put it in from day one, sure, that's an option. But unless you know to put those things in before the problems happen, it, it's never going to happen. So yeah, I mean, something as simple as, as a lease or an employment agreement or a distribution agreement or, you know, whatever you you may come across, it's always worth it to just like, you know, I, I have clients run it by me. I have a client who uh, had the opportunity to go 
he was going to a new location, huge New York firm, bought a bunch of property in the city, and he was going to do it himself. And he's like, this is like 50 pages, like you said, like, I don't even want to look at this. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, great, I'll do it for you. And then, you know, we did it. We had a Zoom call. I was like, this is great. Like, I learned all this information. Like, this is actually super helpful. I'm like, great. I'm glad that you feel like, you know, my time is worth something to you. And then, you know, we renegotiated the lease. We did a bunch of redlining. They accepted every single thing that he asked for in it. Um, you know, so things like that, you, you know, it, you never know a couple hours of doing that research up front will pay off dividends. Oh yeah. Market. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's negotiation at its fine or like at mm-hmm. its core, right. Mm-hmm. Is that you like, you're bringing something to the table, either it's a yes or a no, but if right. you don't bring it to the table, it's never mm-hmm. going to be there. Right. So, and knowing too, and I always tell clients, I'm like, here's the things that I would do. But if not, whatever, you know, the other side has a right to say whatever. Yeah. And I'll also tell them, this is a red flag. Don't do this in a, in a you know, any circumstance whatsoever. Right. Like one is like, I'm signing as the personal guarantor of my business. And I'm like, uh-uh, because if, if, if your <laughs> business goes under and is bankrupt, they're coming after your house, yeah. you know, assuming you're not married and can't get like exceptions or whatever. But again, you know, there are certain things where I'd be like, no, like if, if they demand this clause, you got to back out of that right. agreement. And that's, it's few and far between, but you know. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's like a core of uh, like business in general is you don't want to put your own personal shit on mm-hmm. the line mm-hmm. ever. Uh, so, and I mean, that's why LLCs exist. That's right. why you can get a schedule C and like, you know, mm-hmm. there's, I mean, there's ways of getting around it, but at the same time, like it's something that I would have never thought of. Sure. And that's why like, you know, when I was going through like setting up the LLC that I was a part of for a while, my buddy was like, yeah, you, you can't put your name mm-hmm. as the name of the company. Like just exactly. don't do that. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's very, uh, very eye-opening to hear that this this is the same mm-hmm. stuff that, you know, in my limited knowledge of business, mm-hmm. you know, law, yeah. um, that it, it it still goes on and it's still the same yeah. conversation as a lot of people just don't yeah. realize it. No, name of the company was a true story where I had a, uh, you know, someone slipped and fell and they sued and I said, hey, will you voluntarily dismiss John Doe because it was a business and blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, no problem. Just send me a copy of the lease. And I was like, ah. Oh, God, because, yeah. you know, <laughs> all right, the lease says his name, but like, I swear he's not actually like, it's just in his professional capacity and we work that one out. Yeah. But again, that's all just working out that stipulation to file in court costs more than I, I promise you than whatever legal zoom paid for the lease. Right. And that's probably just in your billable hours too. Mm-hmm. Like not even, not even like talking about what you saved them in the legal fees oh, for that sure. would have been personally, sure. uh, you know. And the peace of mind that at the end of the day, you know, once that stipulation gets entered, at least you know that your house is safe. Yeah, you know? exactly. Because that's another big thing is it's like, oh God, like at the end of the day, what am I going to owe or how does this affect me? And, and, you know, just having someone that can say, no, like this is how the process works. This is what will ultimately happen. We'll make sure that to the extent possible that we'll prevent that from happening. The, right. the peace of mind. You're, you're the fuse box. Mm-hmm. That's really what it comes down to. Sure. <laughs> Um, I guess, uh, from here, I know we've been going quite a while here. I mean, you doing okay. Yeah. What are we at? I don't even, it's uh, about goes, an hour. goes fast to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, about an hour in, um, just, uh, I mean, I, I like to ask a couple of questions of guests yeah. all the time. So I, I figured this is probably a good time to do that. You, um, if anybody's been hanging out with us for this whole hour long episode so far, I mean, I don't know how much people listen to the whole episode, but I know at least 
we got some of the good information out there early, sure. right? So, <laughs> um, and it's been a really in- interesting conversation. So I, I just appreciate you indulging me here. Yeah, I appreciate you giving me the uh, megaphone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> realistically, uh, so like the easy one for me, I don't know, uh, iPhone user? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the, the easy, silly question that we ask everybody is, what are your top five emojis? Oh, I actually so, like barely use emojis. My wife always makes fun <laughs> of me for it because I'm like anti them. Um, but anytime that I do use them, I like the tongue stuck out. I like hippos. So I, I have the hippo emoji. Those are the two that come to mind off the top of my head, but I honestly like never use them. There is like a way to see your top five in your keyboard, though, if you have your phone on. Mm. Um, you can actually just pull it up and we okay. can read through it if that's, uh, if that's acceptable to you. Uh, yeah, you tell me how I do it. <laughs> so if you pull up your keyboard... Um, and then hit the globe there at the bottom left. Uh, one more time. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> oh, uh, the, the emoji's next to the, the one, two, three on that. I'm sorry. <laughs> you use uh, several keyboards, I guess. Emoji. Oh, got it. Okay. Now what? So the first page. Recent? Uh, yep. And then that first row down is oh. your top five. Although it might not be the first row. You might have to scroll over. Uh, you, I, I see a hippo. So, so that, that's a good sign. There you go. Okay. So yeah, this is your, your top five. On okay. The top perfect. So you can go either bottom to top or top to bottom. Okay. But so this is also probably the ones that you've used most recently. So, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, cause the bottom one, I swear to God, I've never used in my life and I'm going to have to ask you what flag it is. Okay. Um, so I have the like, uh, fingers crossed thumbs up, um, kind of happy face, the eyes looking, Oh, smiling pile of poop. That should totally be in my top five. That's that's one that I actually use. What what flag is this? Oh my gosh, that looks like. Oh boy, um, I don't know. Actually, you know what? Send it to me. Okay. If oh you, right, because then, cause then I can read just it. read it. That's yeah. true. Okay, let me do that. How do I send it? Oh God, I haven't used emojis in so long. Hold on, this is this is a first. Uh, most people are like, oh yeah, I know how to see my emojis. Like, all right, um, here we go. I figured it out. All right, uh, so, all right, sent. Okay, so as soon as I get it here, I'm just going to tell Siri to read my last text message. Read my last text message. You have recent messages from Aaron Weiss. Aaron Weiss sent a flag of Scotland emoji. The Would flag like of Scotland. Okay. <laughs> I swear to God, I've never used that flag in my life, to my knowledge, but all right. Scotland it is. Name if you want me to. Oh, you know what? No, no, I do know where it's from. I had a friend that went to Scotland and was texting me about a bunch of whiskeys that he tried and everything. That's probably what it was. That's amazing. Uh, I, I do like a, a good scotch. Mm-hmm. So. McAllen is uh, one of my favorite brands that mm. I, and I, I, that's one that I'm happy to say because I don't represent across the uh, pond there. Right. I'm but, a big uh, Lafroy fan. Uh, Lafroy yep. fan. Yep. Um, I love Petey. Petey's a good, uh, <laughs> hard alcohol for me. It, you know, it's funny cause everyone, people who my in-laws love wine. So oh, like, okay. to them, beer all tastes the same to me. Like I love beer. So all of these different kinds of beers taste, you know, unique to me. And then like, if I drink wine, I'm like, eh, white, red. It's all <laughs> yeah, <same."> exactly. <laughs> uh, my brothers used to work at a winery locally here mm. and, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting because like they, they would get like, you know, uh, half filled bottles or like stuff like that, or, you know, fairly easy to come by Mm -hmm. and they would get discounts. And so like my wedding, we did just beer and wine. We didn't do any like hard alcohol because it was like a small wedding. You know, we did like a picnic at the park type thing. And so they had wine from the winery that they worked at and it was great. But 
Honestly, I can't tell you the difference between a white and a red. Like huh. if I, in a blind taste test, I wouldn't be able to tell you. It's funny that you say that because I told my wife the same thing, and she's like, "No, you that that's wrong." And we yeah. did it once, and I was like, "No, okay, I can tell." <laughs> yeah. But I, I used to think the same thing. But well, there. and I mean, and that's that's just what like I don't I don't take the time to appreciate mm-hmm. wine, and that's yeah. that's on me. I get that. Like if you're yeah. a wino, totally fine. I'm not going to mm-hmm. bash you for it. But at the same time, like I am not that person. Yeah, <laughs> you can't be passionate about everything, right? Like right. I, I like beer, so wine goes by the wayside. Exactly. But I also like whiskey a lot. Sure. And so that's I, I think whiskey is a lot more nuanced mm-hmm. than beer. I think beer can be very definitive. Sure. Um. So, uh, but I also tend to go towards beer yeah. when I'm drinking. So. You can also drink a lot more of it and have a lot more, you know unique flavors without like being unable to drive exactly yeah so and that's and that's the beauty of like the the flights Mm -hmm. or uh you know half pours Mm -hmm. uh that's that's one of my favorite things that has come of craft beer yeah right is to be able to try something get the full flavor Mm -hmm. but not have 16 ounces of it yeah or or whatever it is you know Mm -hmm. like i mean full squish i will crush 16 like 16 ounces of this no problem love this beer um the if I don't like something, I don't want <laughs> to dump twelve ounces right. of it. You know, like I'm I'm good. You know, I'll, I'll get a couple of ounces. I'll, I'll try it. Okay, hey, you know what? That's good. Give me a full pour. Yeah, like that's so. true. Even at like beer fest, you know, you get like this much of a pour, and then I'm just like, oh god, like I don't want to show them that I'm dumping it out at the next station because right. it wasn't good. Man, that that brings up another uh, conversation. And mm. do you do you like go to beer festivals a lot, or do you? Yeah. Um, so love beer festivals. Uh, we actually as a firm for part of our job sponsor some of them uh, locally here. Um, I will say there, you know, there's a number in this city specifically that I really, really like. Um, one that I'm happy to say in particular and that we do sponsor, which again is public. So it's fine. Uh, is barrel and flow, uh, which I see actually behind you. You got a a number of them. So, you know, day and his crew are awesome. Uh, and, and we've loved supporting that group and and doing everything that we can with them. Uh, I've spoken at that conference because, you know, now they have the, the conference followed by the beer fest and, uh, the, you know, the conference has been great. I, I, presented about brewery law i've moderated panels there uh and it's great to see just the collaboration and kind of what they're going for with that festival and it's really unique because i've been to a a number of beer fests but that's like one that uh you know is special to me yeah that's um so this year was my first year oh nice um (laughs) Uh, it, it just so happens that the weekend that they picked the past like four years mm-hmm. <laughs> was not good for me. Mm. And so like I, I was missing it. And so I got like the Tavor box. Yeah. Um, when they did that. In Digi flow or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was awesome. Like mm-hmm. being able to chill and like watch some of the, the, the pieces of that was very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but going to the festival this year was something that mm-hmm. was just like special. Mm-hmm. Like it just felt so like block party, like mm-hmm. just, just, you know, you're, you're like, you're bringing the neighborhood together. Yeah. It's just like, that's something that I, I can't say enough good about. Like, mm-hmm. and what's funny is like, anytime we go on site to a brewery, I feel like day is in the background. <laughs> like, he just shows up, like, <laughs> yeah. And I don't know day personally, so I can't really talk to it, but like, I I've met him before, you know, mm-hmm. passing and like, uh, we did the, uh, we did a, a show for the Pittsburgh Mixed Culture Fest. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. At Trace with nice. Adam Sorma, who's mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, and Day is sitting out in the the plaza there, you know, in the the beer garden, drinking as we're in the like uh, the cool ship room at Trace. If you're familiar, mm-hmm. 
and uh, very super cool. Yeah, yeah, it was it was awesome. Uh, and Adam is one of those people. He's just the the quintessential like character. Mm-hmm. I think is what I would say. Um, but he, he's just the nicest person in the industry. One of the one of the my absolute favorite people in Pittsburgh. Nice. Um, but yeah, it was very cool to like see that come to fruition and like actually like be a like not not a part of it because I'm you know we're not like affiliated with anybody or anything like that but mm-hmm. it was so cool to go to barrel and flow this year and actually like mm-hmm. experience walking around being in that like there's music playing everywhere mm-hmm. there's yeah. you know so many people and it still didn't feel like you were overcrowded right and and i think that's the best part yeah. of the festival like that is it's so mm-hmm. big yeah but it, it, the outdoor aspect is great and i think they do a great job with that and then also just the number of different and unique breweries and businesses and everything that they get is awesome um i'll tell you just like really briefly you know how we got involved and i almost and thank god i did but like i almost never even messaged them because you know you look at like the messaging of what they are and they're looking for minority businesses to pair with a brewery to you know brew beer and i was like well we don't really fit this mold at all but like i really want to be involved with this organization and it sounds great and it's like right up our alley so i messaged day and i was just like you know we're kind of the opposite of what you're going for like (laughs) we're a white-owned law firm that's like been around for 30 years in pittsburgh but like we love beer and we want to support this stuff and it's great like can we do something and he's like yeah let's jump on a zoom call let's figure it out and so you know we spoke at the festival we sponsored the festival and then i was like you know i'd also love to go brew beer with a brewery, but I'd like to go with a minority owned brewery. And, you know, can we do that? And he's like, uh, you can, (laughs) but I'm going to have to send you three hours away. And we jumped on it immediately. We're like, that would be awesome. Uh, So we've done that. And we've partnered with a brewery out of Ohio for the last two years. Um, Crafted culture. So yeah. If you know, uh, yeah. Okay. So super small fucking world. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) I lived in the apartment complex across from their place in Columbus. Gehanna. Uh, yeah, the, the, yeah. That's funny. I was there so, a couple of years ago. Yeah, for, uh, so like the, uh, the bar down the street from them called mm-hmm. Jordan's mm-hmm. good friends of mine. Nice. Actually, like we used to party there all the time. So they, it, it was a different brewery in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they used to be like three and they had an alternating, but then ultimately Crafted Culture got it for a while. And, you know, now they're reopening uh, downtown is the last that I heard. They have like a new spot. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. um, Last time I was in Columbus, we actually were there Mm. uh, just for like, you know, stop in, had a draft type Mm -hmm. of thing. But it's just funny because I lived in that like Hunter's Ridge. Yeah. The apartment. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was my uh, post-college like lived in Columbus for a while. Uh, But yeah, I mean, we've been there the last couple of years. I I love working with those guys and it's awesome. And, you know, it it would be great to see, um, you know, and we're starting to see diversity in some aspects here in Pittsburgh in the brewing scene, but it'd be great to see more of it and, you know, different people opening up and showing a different side of, you know, what can be brewed because everybody who has a different background bring something very different, very unique to the industry. Absolutely. Um, and, and so that's a lot of fun. And that's why I like Barrel and Flow so much. It's like, you know, they give people that opportunity or show people that it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, I mean, it's a great voice for the industry. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a truly like epic event. Yeah. And the fact that it's in Pittsburgh just like mm-hmm. blows my mind because I mean, growing up with this beer scene, Kind mm-hmm. of. Like I, I mean that in like the most generic way possible right. is like I didn't really get into craft beer until probably like 2012, 2013. Mm-hmm. 
and above the age of 21. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. I am, <laughs> I am very old. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, but it, like the, um, just the generic, like the general feel of Pittsburgh mm-hmm. is that it's just going to keep expanding. Like, yeah. There's no bubble bursting mm-hmm. here. And I mean, there are like places that have closed and, but there are so many that are on the horizon mm-hmm. that you're just like, chomping at the bit yeah. to try. Like, well, so so to bring it back to law a bit, you know, I remember in, God, it must have been 2013 or 2014, I heard the CEO of a major brewery speak and he was like, you know, it's great that we have all these microbreweries, but the bubble's going to burst because there's only so much shelf space for all these breweries, which at the time, 100% accurate. Yeah. But now, you know, going back to what we talked about at the beginning, that you can serve over the counter it's unlimited now because yeah. you don't even need a distributor. You don't even need a wholesaler. You can serve your own beer just on site. You don't even need a certificate of label approval. You don't even need any, you know, government tape. <laughs> you can literally just give someone, pour them a, a, a pint of beer yeah. and, and that can be your business model. And here in Pittsburgh, I, I heard someone say that recently, you know, oh, well, we're at about 50 breweries. So we're getting towards like a bubble. It's going to burst at some point. And it was ironic that when I I was moderating a panel and that was said, and I had just come back from San Diego, they have like 180 breweries over there. So I was like, I know for a fact that we could more than triple what we have right now and we would be fine. And there would be a market for it. And I mean, honestly, I have a son right now who's two years old. He's been to more than 20 breweries in his two years (laughs) of existence, you know? So there's, there's more than enough to go around. Yeah. It's great. We keep a list because we're like, oh, where's he been? If he, if, if every brewery counted as a year, he could already legally drink. Exactly. Exactly. Um, that's yeah. But I like, so I've had this conversation with other people in the past too. And like, you're just now starting to see, the United States in general Mm -hmm. get back to like pre prohibition Yep. as far as like the number of bars per capita and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like there's not a lot that can be said for oversaturation because Mm -hmm. we don't know, like we just don't know Mm -hmm. what the, the tipping point is because honestly, if there is a brewery, at the bottom of the hill here, I'm going to walk down to it and probably stumble (laughs) my ass home. Like it's just what's like, that's the thing. Like I, I would gladly not drive mm-hmm. half an hour to a, a, a brewery that I know is good. If mm-hmm. I have a new one near me, right. you know, um, right up the hill here is, uh, Lincoln Avenue. Oh yeah. Um, I've been there yet. Actually they're uh, they do a lot of varieties of styles, a lot of stuff that like, you don't really see other places and, but they also have guest taps. Mm-hmm. So like you can get brewers from other breweries around the city that are maybe not as close Mm -hmm. but i timed it the one day it was literally six minutes door to door like walk no drive drive. but uh they're they're up in bellevue which is just down the road from my house here uh but yeah it was six minute drive door to door and there's always parking in bellevue that's awesome (laughs) so uh but yeah that's like you see these places like coming in mm-hmm. and opening up and like uh, there's one in Lawrenceville that's going to be opening, I assume in the next month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are literally in a building that I grew up like walking past every day. And I I'm, think I know who you're talking about. And yeah. I'm like, Oh, well it's a brewery now. That's so mm-hmm. weird. 
Uh, so <laughs> there's that. There's uh, like the the old Duquesne Brewery mm-hmm. is reopening as Vellum. Uh, I live a block and a half from that. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're in the um, south side. And I saw, uh, so back in like, Two years ago, there were all these access vans that used to park underneath uh, Ascend, and all of a sudden they were all gone. And I saw all this equipment come and moved in, and you know everything. And one day, my neighbor was just like, "You know, there's a brewery moving." I was like, "No," and I just like immediately started googling brewery Southside, or you know, and, and eventually like found it. But yeah, that's literally that's my plan is I'm going to stumble to and from there because exactly. it's a block from my house. But that's uh, like the funny thing about that is I met Nate, who mm-hmm. is their head brewer at the Cinderland's Cinderfest event this nice. year because he won the Stein holding competition. That's awesome. And so we're going to have them on uh, eventually here. Uh, so that's, I'm, I'm speaking this into existence now mm-hmm. because I talked to him about it and I just haven't messaged them yet because, you know, I, I'm terrible. Life is my busy. Job. But yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's uh there's so much happening that is only good for mm-hmm. the industry. Like it's not yeah. like, you're not seeing people like buy up old places. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there it, it happens, right? And there there are a, a couple of them around that are like, oh yeah, we you know used to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. But even like uh, Coven and Roundabout, mm-hmm. that's that's a big one. That was right. like a, that was like a gut punch to mm-hmm. the Pittsburgh scene. Yeah, when Roundabout said, yeah, we're not going to be in our spot anymore. Mm-hmm. Everybody went, holy shit! Like, yeah. what are we? Like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. I love Steve and Diana. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're some of my favorite people in the industry and the pop-up is like one of the coolest things yeah. going down on the river. Yeah. Like it's just awesome. Um, so to see them really just be like, Hey, you know what? We're just going to take a step back mm-hmm. and you know, we're going to do us like, cause they're, uh, like Steve's from New Zealand mm-hmm. and wants to spend more time there. Cool. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Like, right. Why wouldn't you, if you have the capacity to do mm-hmm. that, but your brand is still around, mm-hmm. right? Like you're not going anywhere. Yeah. And that's what's cool is that, you know, brewing scene is so uh, fluid and amorphous that, like, there are the opportunities. Do you want a brick and mortar? You don't even need a brick and mortar. Right. You, you know, you can be an established brewery and not even have a physical space. Um, you know, one of my favorite people that I met from Barrel and Flow, like, he moved from the United States to, I think, Costa Rica during COVID and just, like, now brews crazy beer, like, internationally <laughs> and, like, gets ingredients and brings them back. And like really cool stuff. And, you know, you would just never meet these people other than through alcohol. Yeah. And, and that's what makes it so fun. And, and, and that's the other side too, is that you, you can go into these places as a patron. Mm-hmm. And even though you are a part of the industry, you can sit down at the bar and talk to the bartender who doesn't know you at all. Right. Right. And just get the vibe of, of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, I mean, I, I'm a very extroverted person. I'm mm-hmm. a very, like, talk to anybody. Like, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to talk to the dude next to me because he has a Grateful Dead t-shirt on, whatever. <laughs> I don't even like the Grateful Dead. But that's like, you know, you, you start a conversation and then it, this it, it just balloons mm-hmm. from there. And then all of a sudden you're talking about brewing beer in Costa Rica during COVID. <laughs> like, uh, so that's, uh, I mean, it's. It's so cool to see that this is something that is sticking around. Yeah. Right? Like, there were... There were years there where it was like, okay, cool. Like Grist House is all right. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, uh, Brew Gentlemen, they're around. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that, and then what, 2016, 2017, mm-hmm. really, you saw like s- probably 20 or 30 mm-hmm. breweries open in Allegheny County alone. Right. Like, that's nuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were three. Right. It was Grist House, mm-hmm. Hitchhiker, and Brew Gentlemen. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Yeah. 
And then you had the dancing gnomes. You had the um, Allegheny City mm-hmm. and the the expansion outward has been crazy too. Yeah. Like I mean, I grew up in Hampton, mm-hmm. and uh, you have Acrespire yep. over there, um, and they're moving into the old like the uh, what the hell was that place called? The not the Blarney Stone, but they're like right down the street. From oh, there. I know what you're talking uh, about. But yeah, I, I don't, <laughs> like I don't the know place the they bought. Either. But yeah, like it, it, it's crazy. And then there's you know, I mean, Church Brew Works has been around mm-hmm. forever, and then you have. Um, Tortured Souls mm-hmm. like, and in Sharpsburg. Like, Sharpsburg's not done with memories yeah. by any means. No. Like, they're going to have probably six or eight more. Yeah. Well, and, and <laughs> like, so that's, like, another cool thing is, right? So you talk about, like, you know, Sharpsburg. You have Dancing Gnome. You have Hitchhiker. You have Future Tortured Souls. And then certain areas that, like, otherwise, you know, there wasn't a lot of traffic flow going through those areas. And now, all of a sudden, there's all this interest in, you know traffic and it brings business to the other local, you know, businesses that are there. Uh, you know, I mean, the number one natural thing is food paired yeah. with what I, I just saw in the news the other day. What was it? Dancing Gnome now has like the Greyhound bus. That's going to be blue Sparrow yep. um, combined with whatever other food trucks are around, things like that. It, it's great. And it, it's awesome to see businesses supporting other businesses and, communities getting supported by it and and things like that um and and it's something that's somewhat unique to to breweries in the sense that you know if you open up a bar there's a lot of bars but if you open up a brewery there's really a interesting new clientele that comes in to try whatever it is that you have and and cares more about it versus like if you go to a bar and you have a miller light you have a miller light like whatever it's the same everywhere but they also they also support the local businesses as well. Mm-hmm. Like I know, uh, I mean, you walked into my house, you know, that there's a menagerie of plants <laughs> upstairs and like, uh, that's something that drives my wife out of the house. Like she's like, okay, we're going, Oh yeah, we're going to go down to this brewery. Okay. We're going to stop at these plant shops while we're there and nice. see what they have, like that kind of thing. So, the the clientele that goes to these places definitely buys into the support local, the, For sure. you know, like, maybe find something that you didn't know was there, you mm-hmm. know? So, yeah. Um, I guess to wrap. Yeah. I think we only got I one think, question into your, yeah. The, question. the second question <laughs> is definitely more beer related. All right. So, uh, to wrap up the core episode here with Aaron, um, the question that I always ask everybody is your top three beer styles in ascending order. So three, two, one. Ooh. Um, it doesn't have to be specific like beers mm-hmm. or your favorite breweries or any of that, although I will probably ask you that anyway. Sure. Um, but your and it just just right now, it doesn't have to be like all time mm-hmm. or anything like that. Like I don't need you to to overextend yourself here. Sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but we are uh, we just cracked a spy dolphin from Dancing Gnome. Mm-hmm. So uh figure um uh, like I said, whenever you're ready, if you if you have something in mind, if you want to talk through it. Go sure. So number one, or well, number three, we're going backwards. So yes. number three would be an IPA. And I'll give the reason being that when I first decided to brew beer, uh, we went to South Hills Brewing Supply, which, uh, you know, is like the staple for this area. Yep. And I said, you know, hey, we're a bunch of guys. We want to brew beer. What's a kit that we can get that's reasonably cheap? And what's a beer that we want to brew that we're not going to screw up? And someone said, I think very wisely, 
IPA because the hops will hide everything. Yep. <laughs> so IPA, uh, it would be number three. Uh, number two would be uh, porter, specifically like a coffee flavored porter. Uh, the reason being that, uh, so when my wife was pregnant with our son, we were like, well, the two things you can't have are coffee and alcohol. So I decided to homebrew a coffee beer for her. And generally speaking, coffee and stout go together, but she doesn't like the thicker stout beers. So we did, it was technically an oatmeal ale, but I'd, I'd qual, I would say that it generally falls under the porter category sure, in terms sure. of like the taste and the flavor. So coffee infused porter is, is a good one. And then number one, my personal favorite is anything that's like bourbon barrel. Uh, I just love the <laughs> the vanilla kick that like a barrel gives to a beer. It, it's really cool. It blends the the industries together. Uh, and I've always really, really enjoyed those kind of beers. <laughs> uh, so as you sit at my bar on, on the outside, um, there are about 60 bottles underneath this side of the bar that mm. uh, I've had the ability to collect over the past five to seven years. Mm -hmm. And um, most of them are barrel aged stouts. Nice. That's uh, definitely close to my heart. Um, Do you have like a specific one that you would go for each style? So yeah. So barrel, so IPA, um, personal favorite IPA is a client. So I'm not going to name that one. Um, (laughs) Personal favorite of the, uh, like the coffee aged is the one that I brewed because it like is significant to us. Okay. Um, and then personal favorite for the, uh, Oak cask is uh Kentucky bourbon barrel. I think they do a really good job with it. I ironically ended up in Kentucky. Uh, I used to play ultimate Frisbee in college. And sure. so we went there and had a tournament and I actually got to tour the facility and it is very, very cool. And uh, so I got to try a bunch of the stuff while we were there, but I liked it for years before I even visited. Interesting. Uh, and I think they do a really good job. One of my favorite ones, and it's only a limited edition is they do a Kentucky bourbon old fashioned and it has like a little kick of uh, cherry on top of it. And it, it, it's very, very good. Wow. Uh, that, yeah, that, that would not be probably my, <laughs> my, uh, my go-to for that style. But I, I, I see what you mean by that. Like that's the, the, their flavor forward, right? right. Like it's, it's very, this is what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's such an upcharge to it. You know, they charge more money for a four pack than most people charge for a six pack of bottles. Yeah. And, uh, you know, good for them. Yeah. Right. I mean, if it's working for you, you might as well stick with it. You know? <laughs> um, I, I am a big fan of the like barrel mm-hmm. collections that a lot of these places have. Right? What's like, your favorite of the 60 you got under here, man, that is a tall order. Um, so I started into like the, bourbon barrel aged beers uh with like dark lord from mm-hmm. three floyds yep and got to go to the festival a couple of times it was freaking killer nice like, I, it's one of my favorite stories to tell on the podcast so if you listen to us for any length of time you probably heard me talk about dark lord day <laughs> uh but i'm also a metalhead and i'm also like i played in a metal band for years and like it it really is just the vibe in general and i love the um like the nuance to it, but, uh, but also a lot of people hate dark Lord. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not my favorite, but it is uh, like one of the ones that I'm proud of having. Nice. Uh, so that, that would be like uh, a, a good one there. Um, although I will say the Porter is mm-hmm. an interesting call because not a lot of people go towards that style mm-hmm. specifically. I would say my favorite in the city has to be triple shakes from 
Hitchhiker. Um, I don't think I've tried that one actually. It's phenomenal. Uh, but it is a uh, like a imperial porter is what they call okay. it. So it's basically as close to a stout as you can mm-hmm. be without it being a stout. Um, but it's also their house blend of coffee and mm-hmm. their porter, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's definitely an easy like tick for me. Nice. Um, and then I mean IPA is just way too hard to to nail down. Um, one of my favorites in recent memory has to be Nobody's Robot because it's an mm-hmm. annual release from Dancing Gnome. And I love yep. That. But I also, I mean, I've had some like crazy good stuff from New York and from, mm-hmm. you know, Ohio and like just all over the place. But I mean, IPA is such a broad style yeah. that it's tough to, to really nail down. Um, Coven makes a couple of great ones. Uh, that sour mm-hmm. IPA that they did with the answer for this Halloween thing mm-hmm. was absolutely bonkers um and i mean when you're talking about like a a name like the answer Mm -hmm. collabing with somebody who's just been in the industry well just been open for eight or nine months now right like (laughs) that's huge uh so yeah that's uh quite a list i mean I, i i appreciate the kind of all over the place so like the you're not really you're not really pigeonholed into one thing. Like mm-hmm. I've seen I've heard people go, oh yeah, I want a you know Flanders red and I want a, a frambois and I want a saison. Like okay, yeah. you kind of you know you, you pigeonholed yeah. yourself there. But <laughs> <laughs> now to me the interesting thing is you know different flavors, different types of situations. Yeah, makes it more fun. Absolutely, and I mean the more that we see these breweries really like expand and try different stuff, the more dialed in you can be mm-hmm. so like i can say okay yeah i i really like a good Oktoberfest, mm-hmm. but only for like six weeks right uh, <laughs> right it is also that's a good point it is like situational based on the year like i love ipas not during the winter and See, i love and, and i personally will drink stouts not during the summer you know it, it really depends on the season and the weather and what's going on see that's uh, that's the opposite for me I, w- I will gladly drink an ipa in the dead of winter i will really? gladly drink a stout in the summer like, huh. i am fully invested in the the taste the experience of the beer and and sharing it mm-hmm. really is what it comes down to because like i have a few of these like voodoo like the black magic bottles mm-hmm. and stuff like that that are absolutely sought after and like people will pay top dollar for it, but no, I'm not, I'm not selling them. I'm not profiting off of the secondary value. I'd rather share it with a good friend over, you know, let's, you know, smoke some cigars and hang out by the fire, mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. Yeah. But it doesn't matter if it's 90 degrees or if it's 20 degrees, I, I will still enjoy a stout. <laughs> so <laughs> better man than me. That's, <laughs> I don't know about all that, but uh, yeah, the, the idea that beer brings people together is just really awesome to me. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's something that, uh, that definitely, um, I mean, from your selections, I can see that you're, you know, you're really discerning in your top mm-hmm. three votes there. So, yeah. um, glad I passed the test. Hey, I mean, I, not that it's a test. I'm not trying to like put anybody on the spot here, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So I guess at this point I can wrap up. This is episode 178. Uh, so I've been doing this for a little over four years. Um, really got to know like some crazy people in the industry and I love having guests on and I love inviting random people to my house who I've never met before. <laughs> so this is something that absolutely works out for me because I'm one of those people that's just like, yeah, let's, you know, whatever. I don't care. 
Uh, <laughs> you're still alive. So right, no yeah. one's- <laughs> Nobody's killed me in my basement, uh, even though it is creepy. A uh, couple of lights out right now. Like it's all like twitch. Like I'm sitting here watching this fluorescent behind you just like flicker every once in a while. And I'm like, ah, this is definitely some like Dexter type shit. Uh, <laughs> and the Bruins tied it up. Fuck. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be bad. I saw you look at your phone a couple times. I was oh, jeez. Like, ah. All right, so it's 5-5. Five, five. Uh, but anyway, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on, man. I, I really appreciate the conversation and, and giving us a little bit of a look into the the world of the legal aspect of brewing. Um, I uh, At the end of every episode, we raise a glass, so I'm going to go ahead and cheers you here. Cheers. And uh, we'll see you guys in the bonus episode. <laughs>